podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message. Luke 24, 1-12. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the temple the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. After, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they and bowed their face to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of the Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and they returned to the tomb and told all the things to the eleventh and all of the rest. Now Mary... Magdalene and Joanne and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with these who told these things to the apostles. apostles. With these words seemed to, seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, snooping, stooping, stooping and looking in. He saw the linth, linen, 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 cloths of by themselves and went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of God. All right, good job, good job. Don't worry, it's not vodka. It's just water. This is going to be a tough, tough day for me to preach because I can't move around like I usually do. I might end up being like a rock star and kicking stuff over. So thank you, Sabrina, for reading God's word for us. And thank you, Mike and Sarah and Kendra and Lynn, for playing for us this morning. What a blessing that is. This is high. And thank you for everybody that's here, including the powers. So, are we good? Okay. Uh, welcome to Resurrection Sunday. If um, I'm not going to do a, a passage today. I'm going to be going through different scriptures on, of course, the resurrection. Um, I thought today would be a great day to, to teach on tithing, but Dick told me I couldn't. So, <laughs> we'll go with the resurrection. <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, a funny story before I start. 
I was uh, pacing in the house last night, as I do when I, I think about stuff, and I was telling, you know, um, I, I have a pet peeve that in a sermon that you gotta, you gotta land the plane, right? You gotta, you gotta bring it all down. And I was telling my son, I'm like, man, I, c- I can land the plane, but I just can't take off. And he says, well, you're doing better than a kamikaze. <laughs> so I just wanted to share that with y'all. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dig into God's word. Lord, we just come before you and we thank you for Easter Sunday. Lord, we thank you for a risen Savior, Father, that we have comfort knowing that there is life after death because of Christ's resurrection. Lord, we thank you for who you are, that you are our God and you are our King. You are our Savior, Father, we just pray now that as we continue in worship through the preaching of your word, that our singing has glorified you. Father, that our hearts would be turned towards you, that our hearts would be open to your word, that our ears would not be shut, that your spirit would tug heavily upon our hearts today, Lord, as we look into your word and we see your glory and what that means for us. So, Lord, I just pray that you would be glorified in all that we say and do today and in this service. May you be lifted high and may you be exalted. For we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. In Exodus, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses asks God to see his glory. And God tells him, that he cannot see his face and live. And so what God does to show Moses his glory is he takes Moses and he puts him in the cleft of the rock and he passes by Moses while he's in the cleft of the rock and Moses is actually able to see the backside of God's glory so that he doesn't die. Glory in the Old Testament as we read it is... It's splendor, it's highness as it refers to God. It's his, his splendor, his highness, it's, it's his majesty that is put on display. So essentially what Moses sees is God's majesty. He sees his splendor. He sees just a glimpse of any of that stuff. And in the New Testament, when we read in the Gospels, we see that that was Jesus' Jesus's life was that way. Jesus' life was to glorify God in everything he said and did. His miracles were to glorify God. We see this glory, you know, massively displayed in the triumphal entry of this week, of which Tim preached on last week, Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And this last week of Christ's life, we see that the, the cross glorifies God. It's, it's part of the pinnacle of God's glory is the cross. And likewise, as we look at today, the resurrection glorifies God and puts God on glorious display. So now, what does the, how does the resurrection glorify God? How does it do it? So we're going to look at a few things here. First of all, we see that the resurrection glorifies God by proving that Christ is God, that we have this triune God 
that God raised Christ from the grave is proof that Christ is God also. Listen to Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The resurrection also fulfills prophecy that is spoken of in the Old Testament. Listen to what David says in Psalm 16. Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let the Holy One see corruption. Now this word Sheol just means it can be translated in neither world or the grave or the general place of where the, the dead were. And uh, uh, the Psalm 16.10 says, For you not abandon my soul to Sheol. You'll let the Holy One will not see corruption. Peter also talks about this, and Paul also talks about this. Peter in his sermon in Acts 2, Paul in his Acts 13. And as King David spoke this, he was spoken about not as, as of the greater David, right? Christ is the greater David. And this is what he's speaking of, is that this king, God's king, the triumphal one who came into Jerusalem, this king that brings peace, he will not see corruption. He will not undergo decay, but he will be risen. And Jesus even speaks of his own resurrection. All four gospels speak of this resurrection. Matthew twenty seventeen, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Luke 9.22 Saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. So our first two points is we see that God is glorified in the fact that Jesus is God and that it fulfills prophecy is where we see God's glory. The resurrection also glorifies God by displaying the power of the triune God. You see, the triune God was at work when Christ came bursting forth out of the grave. Acts 2.32 puts it this way. This Jesus, God the Father, God the Father raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. This is Peter's sermon. John 10, 17, this is what Jesus says. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I, Jesus, may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So we see that even Jesus is involved in his own resurrection. The Father raises him, the Son raises himself, God the Son. God the Spirit, in Romans 8.11, says this. If the Spirit of him, Paul tells us this, if the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, of him, God, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we see God's glory put on display in the resurrection because it's the triune God that is at work within this resurrection to bring Jesus up and out of the tomb. God is also glorified by his wrath being satisfied. So now we have to go to the cross here. When we go to the cross, when Jesus goes to the cross and he, he's going to put God on display, we have this thing where it's penal substitutionary atonement. And this is crucial that we understand this. Penal meaning punishment, substitution, Jesus took our place. Atonement, he atones for the sins of the elect. He atones for those all who will believe in him. He atones for the sins of his bride. But how do we know that this was true? How do we know that this atonement was accepted? How do we know that Jesus propitiated God's wrath? He appeased that wrath. He satisfied that wrath. We know this because he's out of the grave. He came out of the tomb. And this is how we know that Jesus has appeased God's wrath. Romans 4, verses 23 through 25 says, But the word... But the words, it was counted to him, this is talking about Abraham in this whole context, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. And it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, here's how we know that this is proof, who was delivered up for our transgressions and was raised for our justification. Jesus was raised for our justification. This justification is a legal term. It means acquittal, found not guilty, innocent. This is how the atonement, we know that Jesus completely drank the wrath of God's cup full because of the resurrection. This puts God's on glorious display. This puts him in, in, in massive splendor and majesty because of the atonement, because of what Jesus has done. My time up. <laughs> I'm just getting started. <laughs> we also see God's glory is seen in that Christ has conquered the grave. Christ has conquered the grave. Now I know some of this we know, but it's nice reminders. It's reminders because we can easily get caught up in the everyday stuff and lose the fact of who we are and what Christ has done and what Christ has done. But Christ puts God's glory on display because he conquered the grave. Acts 2.24, this is going to be a repeat of the psalm because this is where Peter's preaching in his sermon and he refers back to this psalm. So Acts 2.24 says, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your holy one see corruption. Paul in Romans six, writing to the Romans, says it this way Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know, we know, we know, right? We know he's, he's going after our minds. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
God is glorified in that Christ will be, because of his resurrection, is the only true and righteous judge. I hate to say this, but we are not the true and righteous judge. But Christ is the only one who will truly judge righteously. Listen to Acts 17. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Christ will be this judge. We see in this resurrection how Christ, uh, just, just, just a scratching of it, but how Christ glorifies God and we see where God is glorified in the resurrection. So now, Let's turn it this way. What's, what's it mean for us? We have to answer the so what, right? So what? Christ rose from the grave. So what's that mean for me? What's that mean for you? What's that mean as we, as we sit here today? Well, it means everything. It's everything. If Christ does not come out of the tomb, there's no gospel. If he's not risen from the grave, it's not good news. It's not good news. We have a living Savior, one who has come out of the grave, and Jesus is raised from the grave, so this means that you and I are saved. It means we have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. It means we have been reconciled to God through the body of Christ. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have been justified. We are declared righteous. We are completely sanctified. Our standing with God in his eyes is righteous and perfect because we are in Christ, and this is because he came out of the tomb. If he stays into the tomb, none of this is true. He has to come out of the tomb. And since he came out of the tomb, this is true for all of us that put our trust in Christ. The resurrection means a new life. It's a new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This new creation is a spiritual creation. It's a spiritual awakening with us. God has opened our hearts to these things. And what this does is it, it gives us a new heart, a brand new heart. It gives us new desires, new affections, new priorities. It is a new life. It's the newness of life that is lived by faith to the glory of God. We live now by faith to the glory of God. And what's it look like? First of all, we know that we have a glorious living Savior. He is a glorious living Savior. Listen to Revelation. Revelation 1 says this, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Now listen to how the Apostle Paul describes, describes Jesus. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and I am the last. And the living one, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death in Hades. This is our Savior, brothers and sisters. This is the glorious Christ. He is the one whose, whose voice is like roars of many waters. His eyes are like flames of fire. He is glorious. He is in splendor. He is majesty. This is our Savior. This is who we worship. This is who came from the grave. And this Savior, this glorious Savior, intercedes for you and I. In heaven, he intercedes for you and I. Romans 8.34, who is the contempt? Condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? He intercedes on behalf of this. Not only is he this glorious Savior who intercedes for us, but he strengthens us to live for him. He strengthens us to live a life for him. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might not longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised when Jesus saved us he saved us to this new life but this new life was to glorify him it's to live for him it's death to us and glory to him and he gives us the strength to live in that way the resurrection gives us purpose it gives us purpose to live a gospel filled life now we're going to have to do a little flip-flopping in this passage, but let's just take a peek at this passage. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 12 um, on the, the things up here. I'm used to hearing pages flip. So 1 Corinthians 15, 12, this is what, what Paul says. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Now I want to take just a minute to, to kind of look through this. Now I want us to look at the, these words vain and futile. These words vain. The word vain means empty, having nothing, empty-handed, fruitless, without any effect. And the word futile has the same, some, somewhat of the same meanings. It means useless and fruitless and unprofitable. And that is what Paul is saying as he makes this argument. If Christ has not been raised, if Christ is still in the grave and he has not come out, then our faith and our preaching, it's, it's nothing. It's empty-handed. It's fruitless. It has absolutely no effect. And, and, and our faith, it's futile. It's useless. This is what Paul is saying. If Christ has stayed in the grave, we're, we're the most to be pitied. But Christ is not in the grave. Christ has came out of the grave. 
So what's this mean? It means that our preaching of the gospel is not in vain. Our preaching is full. It has substance. Christ brings substance to, to, to the preaching of who he is. It means our faith, as we live out this faith, it is effective. It is fruitful. It is profitable. And it means that we are no longer in our sin. In fact, we're no longer in our sins, but in reality, our sins are forgiven, completely forgiven. Ephesians 1.7 says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 2.13 puts it this way, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. Look at that. He's forgiven us all, all our trespasses all our sins in addition because of the resurrection we are no longer slaves to sin sin no longer has control over us don't let it win because of the resurrection it has no control over us listen to romans six twenty two. but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of god the fruit you get leads to sanctification and eternal life. We've been set free from this sin. This is what the resurrection means for us. You gotta remember, if Christ stays in the tomb, none of this is true. But since he's come out of the tomb, this is where we are now in him. We have been set free from that sin and we have become slaves to God. We are no longer slaves to this sin. And the power of sin has been defeated by Christ because of the resurrection, because of the cross work. It has been defeated by Christ. Romans six twelve. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, no power, no mastery over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. If Christ has freed us from sin, and he set us free, and Christ has defeated the power of sin, well, the penalty of sin is also gone. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. The resurrection gives us comfort in knowing that death has no power now. Death has no power. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't fear death anymore. And as a matter of fact, as believers, we should welcome death. We should welcome it, bring it, because we go home, right? We get to go home. We should not fear death excuse me, death no longer has any power. It doesn't have any power over us. It doesn't have any sting over us because of the resurrection of Christ. This newness of life in the resurrection means 
that our bodies, our bodies will be changed, they'll be raised, and they'll be glorified. Listen to Philippians 3. (coughs) Excuse me. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our bodies will be changed. These bodies that we battle sin in, they're going to be changed. They're going to be changed because Christ is going to change them. He's going to transform our lowly bodies. This word lowly, excuse me, can be translated vile. Our vile bodies, these lowly bodies will be changed. They will be raised and they'll be raised by the same power that raised Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.14, the Apostle Paul says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. We will not, the tomb will not hold us. The grave does not hold us. God will raise us up by the same power that he raised Christ up from. Our bodies will be changed. They'll be raised and glory awaits us. We will be glorified. Second Timothy 2.10 says this, therefore endure everything for the sake of the elect or I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is why death doesn't have a sting on us because what we wait for is eternal glory. That's what it is. It's, 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 not, it's not a book written that says your best life now because our best life is then, is, is waiting for us. It's when we come out of the tomb. It's when we're with Christ. This is when our best life is. It's eternal glory. And in that eternal glory, we will be away from the power of sin. We'll be away from the penalty of sin. And we'll be away from the presence of sin. Sin will not be in heaven. It can't be in heaven. That presence won't be there. Now, now, if you sit here today and you're an unbeliever, I don't know who's a believer and who's an unbeliever, but if you sit here today as an unbeliever, what I just preached is not true of you. Death is fearful for you. You fear death. You are still in your sin. Your faith is worthless. Your purpose has no effect. You will be resurrected, but you will not be resurrected to glory, but you will be resurrected to condemnation. And in eternity, you will be in hell. And what awaits you in hell is God's eternal wrath. But because of the death and the burial and the the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this does not have to be true. This does not have to be true. The resurrection gives you hope today. It gives you hope today to be with Jesus. If you hear his voice tugging on you, if you hear God pulling you towards him, believe in your heart what Christ has done on the cross. Believe in his work that he has atoned for your sin. Believe that he has taken God's wrath for you. Trust in his work. 
Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. It's not, a, it's not merely a, a, oh, just forgive me. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's, it's a turning. It's, it's walking this way. And then when you repent, you turn and you head this way. It's no longer this walking away from God. But God pulls you towards him. Repent of your sin today and believe in the resurrection of Christ and follow him. Trust Jesus today to save you. Receive him as the resurrected king of glory. As we sit here and we're believers, what a glorious day, amen? Amen. What a glorious day. We rejoice in this. This is the day that Christ is risen. This is the day he came out of the tomb, that the tomb is empty. You see, the, the, the stone was rolled away not for Christ to get out, but it was for everybody to look in. He's God. He doesn't need it to be rolled away. It's for everybody to look in. Sabrina read it. Peter ran to the tomb, and stooping in, he looked. He looked. And so we rejoice because today he is resurrected. This means our faith, not in vain. This means the grave will not hold you and I. It means sin power has no hold on you. And the hope of glory awaits you and I. When troubles come, and they will come, and heartache comes, and trials come, we can find comfort in the resurrection because the resurrection tells us one thing. Everything's going to be all right. So today, brothers and sisters, rejoice because the resurrection puts God on glorious display. And rejoice today because the resurrection gives you and I newness of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what Christ has done. And now, Lord, as we, as we look at communion, Father, and we, when we contemplate this communion, Lord, I just pray now, Lord, that our, our, our hearts would be turned to you and your, your work on the cross, Lord Jesus that we will see your body broken and your blood spilled for us, mainly for the glory of your Father, but for us too. So Lord, I just pray at this time that our hearts will be turned to you and they would stay turned to you. And I just ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So now, as the worship team comes and they're gonna play for us, but as they're playing for us, you can stay seated. Dick and the elders of the elders of Faith Bible are going to come and they're going to pass out the elements. And so then when, when the words come up on the screen, feel free to sing. But I also want to encourage you in this area that as you take communion, that your heart is right with God. Take a few minutes. Make sure that your heart is right with God. And if you sit here today as an unbeliever, don't take this. Pass it by. This isn't for you. This is for the bride of Christ to rejoice in their Savior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, again, we are thankful. We are thankful for that we can gather here this morning, Lord, and we can worship you. We can worship you in song. We can worship you in the preaching of your word. We can worship you in the communion. Father, I'm thankful for everyone that's here today, and I pray, Lord, that your word would... uh, touch their hearts and they would grab their hearts and it would tug on them, Lord. And I just pray now, Lord, that uh, we would go from here after this next song, Lord, and we would glorify you in everything that we say and do. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.